here is singer-songwriter, broadcaster, audio-video artist, entertainment agent, and your host for the Dharmic Evolution. It's the master storyteller himself, James Kevin O'Connor. And once again, it is delightful to be here with all of you folks and um, celebrating springtime, so many good things. And we're taking a little trip up to the Hudson Valley today in New York, one of the most beautiful places you can ever imagine. Uh, But before we do that, I want to just remind you, if you are not yet connected to DharmicEvolution.com, check it out, go over there, and you can easily sign up for your favorite platform, whether it be Ghana or uh, Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Stitcher Radio. We have so many. I think we're on like 22 platforms now, so please sign up. The show will come to your phone every Friday morning at 4.44 a.m. And another reminder is if you haven't yet checked out our Dharmic Rising Stars playlists on Spotify, we have Orion and we have Aquila. So they're named after the star constellations, which are the Dharmic Rising Stars of this broadcast. So check that out. But right now, We're going to head up to the Hudson Valley, and we're going to visit with a Fulbright scholar, a college professor, a beauty queen, a cognitive scientist, a television host, and a mother. And yes, this is all one person. (laughs) And uh, yes, it is. It's Mrs. Dutchess County from Red Hook, New York. And this is going to be a delightful interview with the wonderful Jacqueline H. Berry, Ph.D., You better strap up your seatbelts because we're taking a ride today from the Music City all the way to the Hudson Valley, New York. Jackie, welcome to the Dharmic Evolution. James, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure and I love the pyramids uh, behind you and you've got the Cleopatra look going on. Oh, you know, thank you so much. Yeah, I'm the sorry. long dreads and the red, it all works, you know, it all looks beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> so, so much to celebrate here. Um, I was very excited to, uh, um, to find out about you and your career. And this is your debut book that you're releasing and have, have released just, very, um, uh, just a very short time ago called Finding Your Carrot. And I, I'm so intrigued by the substance of this book and the things that you have covered in it. I have some excerpts here and things I went over and it's like right up in my wheelhouse of things that I've been trying to focus on for years. So I'm so happy to uh, present this to so many people, including like young people out there who are trying to find their way. So uh, you popped the champagne, of course, already. And how is it feeling to have this out just, you know, as, as a completed thing out in the world now? It's absolutely amazing. I mean, in all of my time, I've done a lot of things. I'm, you know, a college professor, a scientist, um, a wife, a mom. I've got a blog. I, you know, I do all sorts of things. And I didn't really think adding author to my list of things that I would ever do. Um, But I did. And I'm so happy that I did because I really feel like it's a very true expression of myself. Yeah, you're the um, you're quite the uh, epitome of the multi hyphenated uh, 
uh, career, as my friend, um, uh, oh, I can't remember her name says, but uh, it's so true. Many of us today don't have just one thing anymore. It's it's kind of a a bunch of different things, and you've you've kind of broken the mold here with all that you've done. And by the way, congratulations on being Mrs. Duchess County of New York. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it's a lot of fun, and that too is a lot of work. And I have to be honest with you, um, I was looking for. Uh, I was speaking to my coach, and I was telling her about my experiences in Egypt. And how I taught this course about becoming an expert and really becoming the best version of yourself. And my students, by the way, kids in Egypt, they're just like kids in America. Everyone wants the same things. But, you know, I really saw them flourish when given the opportunity to do a case study about becoming an expert at something rather than just a boring old lit review. And I'm talking to my pageant coach and she said, you know, that really sounds like the start of something. And lo and behold, I wrote a book about it. <laughs> Amazing. And does this fall under the cognitive scientist area of your career? So I do have some cognitive science principles that I talk about in the book, such as decision fatigue, such as how to maximize working memory and how to do as much as you can without making yourself too tired and making poor decisions. Uh, but this is actually more an extension of my entire approach to life. So not only how I go about being a scientist, but also how I go about all of the other things that I do, such as being a mom, an author, a golfer, uh, a pageant queen, <laughs> and uh, a techpreneur, and all of the wonderful fun stuff that I do. And a Tetrix player. I knew nothing about Tetrix. And uh, I, I went online and said, I, I better brush up. I don't know anything about this. I never even heard of it. Oh, it's a so, wonderful game. You know, and what's interesting is, and I'm going to date myself here, Tetris has been out for quite a long time. It was invented in the 80s by a, Rus by a Russian developer. And it really became huge. Sometime, I want to say, um, well, as huge as it could have in, in the 80s and 90s. But then what happened was a lot of guys that were playing, they played their whole life. But by the time YouTube became popular, people could post their games and people started seeing that other people were playing. And now it's just risen to the level of being super, super competitive and having a lot of tournaments and world championships. And now we have kids who weren't even born when the game came out who are coming in and beating everybody. Now is okay. So is it just one on one, or does a group play? How does it how does it work? It's just one on one then. Yeah, for the most part, so. it's one on one in in standard Tetris. One person plays against another, and uh, whoever has the highest score wins the game. Wow, uh, crazy! Um, I want to back up a little bit to the book and ask you about um, decision fatigue. Now, um, I kind of get that right away, but you could, could you just explain that for our audience? And then I want to dig into a little bit about um, some of the tools that you've designed to help people with this, this struggle. Yeah, so decision fatigue is such an incredible phenomenon that we don't even think about that affects literally our daily lives. I'll just explain a study. Um, I didn't talk about this in the book, but I'm hoping to talk about it in my next book, which is in the works which is some researchers looked at a panel of judges who were looking at potential parolees and the prisoners would come before the panel in hopes of getting 
getting out of jail on parole. And they looked at the ethnicity. So they were either Israeli or they were Palestinian. And they looked at the time of day. And what they found was whether or not the parolee was granted a release depended more on the time of day than anything else. So if you came before the judge to get your parole granted at 10 o'clock in the morning, you're far more likely for that panel to say yes than if you came at four o'clock in the evening. And the reason is because when you're making a judgment, a decision, when you're considering alternatives, that's draining. That's draining on your brain, right? And that's a tough decision because you have to decide, has this person earned the right to be released or do they do they go back in jail, which is the safer choice? And what happens is by the end of the day, you've made so many decisions and drained your brain so much that you tend to go towards the safer default opportunity. And in the case of a potential parolee, the safer alternative is just to put them back in jail because you don't want them recommitting a crime or something. So this happens all the time. This is why those late night diets, uh, late night snacks always kill people's diets because by the end of the day, you've been dealing with your spouse and you've been in traffic and you've been at work and you've been doing everything that you do that requires your judgment and thought. You don't have the energy left, literally the mental energy left to hold off on having the snacks you know you shouldn't have. Wow, that's that's really amazing and very profound because, uh, you know, people are being, you know, reincarcerated um, unjustly, you know, which is horrible. And um, so so what do we do with this? Is this a th- is this like an educational moment, an opportunity for you to, to let people know that this is going on? Absolutely. I think on the personal level, people should take it upon themselves to organize their lives so they're not put in situations where they have to make a tough decision when they're tired and it's late in the day and they've just had the hassles of normal life adding up on them. And if you are someone who has to go before a judge or go before someone who needs to make a thoughtful decision, try to get something in the morning. So just delay, delay until I get my morning. I yeah, want exactly. 9 o'clock, baby. You've had your coffee. You've had your breakfast. You're relaxed. Exactly. Oh, man. Yeah, um, I also uh, wanted to talk a little bit about um, tools that you would probably have because finding your carrot suggests to me, I don't know if this was in the excerpts, but um, probably you touched on it. And it's chasing those shiny metal objects that uh, we're all guilty of um, distraction, you know, constantly uh, being distracted by the next greatest thing, and maybe this is what I need to do. And and we ended up, and I, I've had personal experience with this, with trying to create businesses by jumping from one thing to another to another. And before you know it, you're overwhelmed and you're exhausted. And one of the things you mentioned is about the social media. How do we get away from this? And I just said last night to my fiance, I'm not taking the damn phone in the bedroom anymore because I, I, I'm watching these UFC fights over and over, the same fight over and over. It's like, this is silly. And I went to bed at nine o'clock last night, fell right asleep. I didn't even read. I just to- fell, <laughs> fell right asleep. So it's a terrible disease, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it's very tough. And we have to set boundaries with ourselves. And I, I, I struggle with the same things, James, you know, like I have this rule where, you know, evening is kind of my time to just, you know, relax. I, I, I've worked and I, I stay up late, too. So I know that, you know, I'll get up at some point and work into the wee hours. But I just need some evening time just to just 
you know, turn my brain off and watch Netflix. But I'm guilty yeah. of having the phone there. And next thing I know, I'm writing work emails and I'm writing work, you know, work texts and I'm, you know, doing tasks and the TV is on, but I'm not watching it. And I'm not actually relaxing. I'm just kind of in the bed still working, you know, when I'm supposed to be relaxing. It's very hard to do this. And particularly for anyone who's like um, a young mom out there, you know, like uh, it, it, you're, you crave those times to yourself and also those, those times when you're with your kids and you have to really, really be disciplined to turn off the phone or, you know, turn off the TV or, or shut the computer off or whatever it is that you're supposed to do. And it's, it's not easy. It's not easy. So no one should feel bad if they don't find it easy. One of the tools that I think would help people is if they structured their life in a specific way. So if you lay your items out for whatever the next activity is, then they're already there, right? You don't have to stop and think, okay, what is it that I'm supposed to be doing next? You've set up your environment so that you're already set up for the next thing. So for example, if I don't wanna take my phone into the bedroom when I'm ready to relax and watch TV, maybe I'll make it so that it's, that's the time when it needs to be charged. It's on 5%. I couldn't do any of that stuff anyway. And it's in the other room charging. And I am forced to just kind of sit there and look at the TV because my, my phone is not available, uh, you know, for example. Or um, another example is the first thing you do in the day is probably one of the most important. But there's a whole lot of stuff that can lead up to that such as what am I going to wear? You know, how am I going to wear my ha hair? All, all that stuff. Lay out your clothes the night before, you know, like, like have a go and have a go-to uniform or something and have, a, and know what you're going to have for lunch, right? Like people spend so much time trying to figure out what it is they're going to have for lunch that even those little itty bitty decisions really, really drain. So the tools are all about structure, set it up so that you don't have to think. You don't have to decide. Everything has been pre-decided for you. So the night before, what am I going to eat for lunch? What am I going to wear? You know, what is my hair going to do for me? I have braids, so it's pretty easy. I don't have to do anything, but you know, when I'm, when I'm not wearing this and just organize your life so that everything is all ready for you to just plug and play. Amen to that. That's the um, that's the high achiever thing. I've been working on that for years, and I do it for the for the entire week. Actually, um, you know, I kind of wear a uniform every day, except when I'm broadcasting or whatever. And uh, you know, got my workout thing. And I want to talk to you about um, vision boards and and things like I'm I'm a creative like yourself. So whether I'm working on the next song, the next album. Uh, a book that I'm just doing, whatever, everything goes on this big vision board with colored pencils. And I visit this thing like five, six times a day because I track everything. How, how, mu how much did I run? Did I run five miles today? Sit-ups, push-ups, everything goes down. And I, I also have like books all over with ledgers and things. So I'm kind of a throwback to pushing the pen. I still like that. I mean, I use a computer too, but do you have any take on uh, which is more powerful, which is more organization, like physically writing? Is that something that you adopt as a writer or do you are you all in on computer? What's your take on that? Fantastic question. And I'll answer that and I'll even go back to my take on how to approach doing vision boards. 
Um, so it really depends on what it is that you're doing. If you are learning, for example, you're in a seminar or a conference or a webcast or even a student in a class, if you by hand, you know, and this is in real life, as they like to say, IRL, writing with a pen and paper, you will retain far more of the information than if you follow along on your laptop or computer and try to type it. So when a professor says no electronics are allowed, they're doing that to help you, right? It's not yeah. just that it's a distraction for them and the other students. It's also you'll learn and retain more. So using a pen and paper, if you're in a learning environment is best for writing. So disseminating, disseminating information as opposed to absorbing information, I, I personally find typing on the computer best because my brain works at a pace where I can't write fast enough to keep up. My, my hand will get cramped, right? So I, I need to type because a lot of times I'll, I'll have to jump ahead in the thought, type that down really quickly, you know, and then go back and then fill in all of, fill in all of that. And then when it comes to like organizational type to-do lists, definitely pen and paper, like that whiteboard, right? That you're talking about. And yeah. we use this in my house for organization. There's a big, there's a big whiteboard, and one section is these are the groceries. So if you run out of something, you know, my kid's like, hey, I ran out of Doritos. He can just put Doritos on the board, you know, or peanut butter on the board or whatever else. And then there's another section on the board for this is what we need from the pharmacy, right? We need, you know, the vitamins or, or, you know, deodorant, just normal stuff you need, a toothbrush. And then there's another section for, okay, so we know we're going to make an Amazon purchase and we're probably going to try to purchase a bunch of things at once. So all of the packages arrive and it's not, you know, we can expect them and be ready for them. There's a section for that. And then there's a section for house projects, right? Oh, we want to, you know, expand the space in the garage for the garage door, or we want to create a birdhouse. And so having all of that on the whiteboard, that, in my opinion, works best if it's handwritten. So just to recap, if you're taking in information, like you're at a webinar, write it down with your hands. If you are disseminating information, producing or writing, do that like this, because you will type faster than you can write if you're thinking. Your, your brain is gonna go much faster than your hands. If you are trying to keep a list, write it down, because you can also sometimes, if you don't have it on the whiteboard, you can put it on in your pocket. As for vision boarding, James, I have to go to something that I didn't know how to express for the longest time, but I've known it in my heart of hearts, which is there's such thing as over planning and there's such thing as trying to get too, too specific, okay? And I finally saw uh, a documentary on Netflix about the legendary Quincy Jones, and he said it very simply, okay? When you're creating music, you have to create up to a certain point and leave that last 20 or 30% for God to walk through the room, right? If you overproduce, sure, it might sound good, but it's not gonna sound great. It's not gonna have that spark. It's not gonna have that magic touch. You have to leave space for things to happen organically. So I used to be super, super specific about my vision boards. You know, I had things cut out and it was very, very, you know, I could identify and, you know, and dates and whatever else. And that is too rigid. I think it's too overstructured. And it also leaves you open to if 
there's one little obstacle or stumbling block, just throwing up your hands and being like, oh, it's not perfect. Just, just leave some space, leave some margin, leave some fat, right? Le leave some opening there for yourself. So I don't even do vision boards as much as I have in my mind. Okay, so here are the top three things in the next six months that I know that I wanna do. And I'm not even going to share them with anybody because I need them to really marinate in my own mind so that when it comes times to actually, when it comes time to actually cook them, <laughs> I'm ready and I have the recipe in my brain. But if I put it up on a board, it can get overplanned, overplanned. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for that, uh, that Quincy Jones um, um, little tidbit, because I, I'm such a firm believer in that. The last uh, couple of records I've done have been, I just did a guitar, a vocal, and I brought it into the guys. I didn't write any of the bass parts, which I, I can do, and keyboards and stuff, and just said, you know, these guys have, uh, they're, they're Nashville Music Row musicians, so they have a library of, an encyclopedia, each of them, of things that they've done so it's like open door policy anything goes i already have the structure down you guys can let's just see what comes out but but i'm a firm believer in that i want to also circle back to while we're on this um subject let's just for for a quick minute talk about um uh journaling which which i do every sunday um and I go out to breakfast, and I was at this little coffee shop, and this young girl, this young Asian girl came up to me, and this is the second time she came up. She said, you brought your book again, your journal? And she was fascinated, like she was like 19, you know? And I explained it to her. I said, I said, you know, it's just like one page I do each week, and it's kind of a recap and what went right, and it's just kind of a trigger to, for me to like say, all right, this is what I've accomplished. But I said, if you do this... When you go back every once in a while, you go back months, even as much as a year, and you and you go, wow, everything, like all the things I wrote down that I wanted to do, like 80% of them came true without me even thinking about it. And her eyes went like saucers, you know? So I guess my question is, do you, do you think that most of the, the younger kids have just not dialed into this opportunity of of you know ledgering journaling you know pushing pushing the pen to the paper do you think they're just kind of not um aware of it I, you know i don't know and again that goes back to everything being done digitally as opposed to analog anymore it's like you know there's much the, the, the idea of keeping a diary you know, do, do, do kids even do that anymore? Do kids even write down? Because it's one thing, you know, like type, like we have a word file. Like it just seems a little, it, it just seems a little different when you're dealing yeah. in the digital space. Um, I do have to be completely honest with you, though. When I when I say that I've I've tried journaling and I end up not doing it. It does not personally work for me. And I think the reason is because I am constantly trying to find my carrot that I know I will never go back and read those things. So while I can look and see that, oh, you know, this came true or this didn't come true or it came true differently and I'm a different person. And wow, I used to think that, you know, I'm so glad I think something that, you know, like I could see changes in myself over time. You know, at the end of the day, it's like, I want to look forward. And so I don't spend a lot of time looking backwards. Now, could I learn more if I did? Probably, probably. As just my personal style is, is, is you know, well, I can't do anything about it now. So I'll just have to remember in my mind as great as possible. Let's talk about um, chasing dreams. Like people who, it doesn't matter what age you are, but um, a lot of people stay in a career for decades and then just say, this this the time for this has passed. I need to 
um, do something else. Um, especially, that's probably a, t a really tough one. That's almost as tough or maybe as tough as somebody who's just coming out of high school or just coming out of um, college or just coming out of graduate school and, and feels they did all this and there's a shift. So what do you say to people who are chasing their dreams, trying to cultivate their dreams, trying to find their dreams? Because I've had people come to me and say, but, but I just don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. Any kind of magic uh, carrot that we could chew on for that? <laughs> well, anyone with the moxie, particularly, like you said, to be have been doing something for 20 years and decide they want to do something else, you go, girl, okay? Or you yeah. go, boy. Right, That that is what I have to say to that because the it's one thing to do something at 22 when there's less at stake. You don't have a mortgage. You don't have a family. And if you mess up, there's decades ahead of you to repair that problem. It's a whole nother thing at, you know, 50 to be like, you know what? Like, I want to try something different. I still got plenty of good years, decades left in me. I mean, heck, the last presidential election, I think the average age was 73 years old. I mean, you know, so like yeah. if you're 50, yeah, right. you have two and a half decades still to just create a political career. I mean, it's just, yeah. you know, with us <laughs> living long, everything is so great. Everything is the options are just are just boundless. Um, so, you know, I, I, I really commend anyone that has the courage to do it at at 22, but especially at 50 when they maybe there's kids in college, right? You know, maybe there's, maybe there's, there, there's more at stake. There was a second part of your question. I think I, I, I missed. Um, I forgot it because I, <laughs> I wrapped too many, I, too, I wrapped too many questions into one, but okay. I, I think it's, I think it's about, you know, that pivot point of, do I do this or do I do that? And people get like all caught up in it and they end up being paralyzed by saying, I don't make any decision. Then a year goes by and then two years go by and they're doing something that, you know, maybe they're pumping gas or they're working in a restaurant or something and saying, I'm just doing this like sort of temporary until I whatever. And they, they never get to that or, or they just keep postponing it because it's a difficult decision. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, inertia is, an, a power, is a powerful thing. It is often so much easier to stay in place and stay with what's easier and familiar than it is to move or know that you want to move, but don't really have a clear vision of what. And I'm going to be completely honest with you, James. It, James, it has taken me years to realize that that finding your footing is part of the journey. I used to think, oh, you just know, and then you just do it. And then all you have to do is play it out. No, 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 no. Right? Like <laughs> things, you know, sometimes it doesn't open up until you've taken the first step and then the next step. And then the path starts to become visible, you know, like a fog lifting. Right? Yeah. So um, if someone doesn't know what it is they wanted, that's fine. That's fine. Just get started. Just get started, right? The, the, the right direction or path or resources will magically appear, right? They'll spawn. And if certain doors, you know, are closed or remain closed or whatever else, that's not, that just means that's not the direction you're supposed to go. That doesn't mean stay where you are. It just means find a different direction. And in the beginning, the option space is wide open, right? There's multiple paths. I, I want to make a change, but I don't know what it is. 
you could try a bunch of different things. Eventually, it will start narrowing, and you'll you'll start you'll start cultivating and seeing. Okay, so it tends to be something along this lines. And here's a real clue. I believe firmly that everyone has their own personal currency that they have to offer the world, to use that to reach their goals and to share that to enrich other people's lives. So you have a an amazing voice and you have an amazing gift for creating sound, right? I mean, you're, you also do music. So, so th oh, there's obviously you. something. I didn't know you were talking to me. I'm looking behind <laughs> me. Like, did somebody just come in here? There's the other James behind you. <laughs> oh, okay. Park the car, James. I'll be right up. <laughs> exactly. But I mean, that's your currency, right? You know, sharing sharing yeah. sound with the world in, in, in different formats, whether it's radio or a podcast or a Zoom interview or music or, you know, or production and, and, and those types of things. You know, usually if you are on, if you are using your currency, it's almost impossible to go wrong. Right. It's, yeah. it's, uh, it's almost impossible to go wrong. If you decide you want to do some something completely unrelated to your natural talents, you might discover you have a talent in another area or you might find that you can take the existing talent that you have and express it in a different way. So you're, you're, you're looking at all of the things I have listed on my resume. It all says the same thing, James, which is inspire people. Yeah. Right. I'm not you know, five people rolled into one. I'm just one person inspiring people in different ways. Yeah. I, I also liked uh, your fail forward. And if I may just share with, uh, you know, you in the audience, I've had probably had more failures than anybody. I mean, I've had many different careers, and but I've had some successes along the way. And I think um, not, not being too fearful is, is an ally. Like, I mean, I'm never afraid to fall on my face and, and it's brought me uh, opportunity. And I think a lot of people get caught up in, you know, it's got to be right, right out of the gate. And it's like, you know, after a while, it's like, you know, you're supposed to, the Lord counsels us to embrace our failures because it's part of our tutelage. You know, it's part of what we're supposed to, you can't manifest the complete you until you go through a little bit of pain and process and learn from that pain and process and come out the other side. Um, so you've probably had your share of that because look at all you've done. I mean, you've, uh, you know, you've got so many things going on, a Fulbright scholar, and um, now you've got the book and you've got all these other things, cognitive science. Um, you know, how, how does it, how does it, feel for you at this point of your life going through the things you've had to go through to achieve the things that you have now? So um, I think people need to recognize, just to answer your first question, that failure is just data. It's just data. Yeah. The, the problem is when you take it personally and, you know, people, it's a moratorium on themselves, you know, that means I am, you know, and there's emotional attack, just, mm -mm, okay. Right. Like it, like if you're doing an experiment and a laboratory and it doesn't work, does that mean you just give up and go home? No. Like you just try another experiment. Like it's the same, it's just going to give you information. So that's why I came up with the fail forward fast is, you know, it's going to occur. Practice taking what you can learn out of that and applying it to the very next venture. So one of my favorite quotes came from, I believe, Benjamin Franklin, where he said, success is basically just moving from one failure to the next without losing enthusiasm. 
Yeah, that's <laughs> amazing. That quote. <laughs> right? Like, and, like, and, like, like, that's it, right? And, you know, and the minute people take it personal and then they start wallowing in it and that that's the fast part of it. Fail forward fast. Accept that you're going to fail. Forward, meaning use the data from that to inform your next pursuit. And then quickly, don't linger. Don't wallow. Don't, you know, sit around feeling sorry for yourself. Sure, there might be a little sadness if something falls through. But then, you know, just bounce right back and move forward quickly. For me, you know, I've, I've had tons of failures. But, you know, I'm learning as I go to just keep going and just go a little bit faster next time. And then you can just move past that. But I, I do want to get on to a really key point, which is when you're chasing your dreams, it's like a hunt. Okay. It's like a hunt, just like any other, you are a predator on the, you know, Serengeti and you're chasing this kill that will feed you and your family for the next week, right? You know, this this massive buffalo or whatever. What most people don't realize is when we watch National Geographic or these shows, we always see the successful hunts. There are there are actually more failed hunts. Actually, most predators, and this includes across the animal kingdom, their success rates about one in 10. So if something fails, okay, just wait for number 11, right? Like, like that, <laughs> just accept the fact that it's probably not gonna work out because that's the nature of being a predator. That's the nature of being at the top of the food chain. In fact, rejoice. The fact that you're even in a position to hunt and want to hunt shows that you're in the top, top 10%, right? Because you already have that mindset of go after, go after, go after. What comes along with that is a success rate that matches you being in the top 10%. Yeah, we watch too many Hollywood movies <laughs> where everything works out perfectly every time right out of the gate, you yeah. know? Yeah. And it's so true. I, I mean, I use, the, um, I use the Thomas Edison thing all the time to say, well, wait, he did a thousand experiments to make that light bulb work. A thousand. How could the guy ever have the tenacity to stay with that and do it a thousand times? Um, I think this is a good time to... Uh, to flip a little bit, I want to ask you about um, the raptures. Uh, I, you know, you had this great photo with the uh, with the baby owl and the and the mature owl, and you are interested in raptures, uh, probably amongst other animals. So, um, you want to talk about that just for a little bit and how you got interested in this? Yes, yes, yes. I love birds. I love birds and I'm not a huge animal person per se, but something about birds, they just they just have my heart and, and that's just the way it is. I particularly like birds of prey because they have all of the attributes that I would want in a human or as, as a person. So for one thing, their eyesight, you know, the fact that the reason they move their head so much is because their eyes are so large, they won't rotate in the sockets. So they have to move their head in order to look, you know, for their prey. That gives yeah. them vision to the point where, you know, they could see a mouse in the middle of a football field, right? And I've always liked or thought about, you know, if I just had the vision just to see how everything would come together, you know, I can help so many other people, including myself and my students, be exactly where they need to be because I could see the entire field in amazing detail like they do. I also like the fact that they they fly. <laughs> I mean, that's the <laughs> ultimate in freedom, right? Yeah. They, 
you know, just up. I don't like the situation. I'm going to lift my wings and get out of here, you know, and that's just, you know, that's just, that's just such a wonderful fantasy. It's just, you know, being able to fly and just get out of a situation and, and, and travel long distances. But one thing that's really key is, you know, when, when birds, if you ever looked at the underneath of a bird's wing, it's the skin is very delicate and there's not a lot of feathers in order to fly that very moment. There's a lot of vulnerability there. If something were to, 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 to pierce them or whatever else, you know, but that's the trade-off. And this goes for people too. If you are going to fly, you have to be vulnerable. At least for, you have to, you have to raise your wings. You can't fly like this, protecting your, your weak parts, right? Yeah. You, you have to, okay? And so I just really value the idea that you can soar to the greatest heights if you're willing to just, just risk being punctured, you know, and it's, it's going to happen, right? We're just talking about failure. It is yeah. going to happen. You are not going to be a hundred percent safe every time you spread your wings. Um, and finally, the last thing I, I really like about birds is they are very sensitive to the environment. Literally they're sensitive to the environment and all the stuff that goes on, but they're also sensitive to, other birds that are around them and they do things like if you ever see a bird at a feeder and they seems like they waste more food than they actually eat they're sharing with the community right it's yeah. kind of frustrating to me because there's squirrels eating that i don't want the squirrels to eat. i want the birds but they're sharing you know with the community you know and when they're on a branch you know and another bird lands on a branch the branch just goes like this and they just sit there you know they they're, they're not they're not ruffled you know they're very they're very much community members and i appreciate that and they're sensitive to each other I got a quick owl story for you. So I was sitting on a porch one day, this is a few years back, and, and out of the corner of my eye, I saw some something moving. And and I saw two big blackbirds, like, you know, going in and attacking something. And I, I jumped up and ran over, and it, it was a baby owl. And he was on his back. He must have fallen out of a nest. Oh, wow. You know, and I could not believe how tenacious and how, how like, the he was just... Em, embedded with this DNA of I'm going to defend myself. And these guys, he was like, he had his, his claws up like this and he was attacking these two big mature blackbirds. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And he was actually taking care of himself. So, of course, we, uh, I got some help and we, we carted him up and, uh, you know, with the gloves and everything. We got him over. There's a rapture center nearby. So they, they took him in. He was fine. But, uh, I had no idea, like, he was just not going to be a meal for somebody. He knew what he was doing, <laughs> you know? I love it. I love that spirit. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same with you, the birds. I have the feeders and everything. I watch them all the time. It's great. Um, so as we're wrapping up here, Jackie, um, anything we didn't get? There's so many things, I mean, that oh, I, want, I didn't get into already? the golfing. Um, tell me about your golfing. So I got into golf as an adult. Imagine that. Most people play when they're kids. And right. I was probably, I was already married and um, my husband started playing and he got really into it. And I was determined that I was not going to be a golf widow. So I said, <laughs> well, you know, let me take up the sport. And then the tables turned and I ended up starting to play more golf than my husband actually did. And I got really into it. And there was a point where I was playing probably during summers um, 
oh, five, six hours a day, you know, plus practicing. Um, And, you know, then I had my son and I realized that the carpet in my office was really good for putting. So I would put him (laughs) down for a nap and I would I would putt for like an hour and a half. And then I got really good at putting, you know, and that was a lot of fun to start playing tournaments and so on and so forth. And I created the blog golfermoms.com because I realized that a lot of people, uh, particularly when, when you become a mom, you start giving up stuff. And I didn't want to give up golf and I didn't give up golf. I ended up strapping him in the cart with me and going and playing <laughs> golf. So other moms took their kid to the park. I took my kid to the golf course. Um, starting when he was just a baby and all the way up through probably first grade, he would, he would come with me to the golf course and, and, and we would play and it was fun. It's probably, you know, emblazoned in in his memory now. I mean, he's probably, does he golf? How old no, is no. My, he's, my he's son <laughs> likes to play video games. He is not oh, into okay. athletics. Yeah. <laughs> That's something else. And also the beautiful Dutchess County, New York, where you live in Red Hook is, uh, it's so amazing. We talked about this a little bit yesterday, and for folks who have never been to that part of the country, it's just, it kind of takes your breath away. I've been going up there for as long as I can remember, since I was a, almost a teenager, I guess, and um, it just never leaves you, like that whole area of New York. We still go to the Adirondacks every single uh, summer for a four-day uh, camping trip with my sons and, and family. And we're out on a wilderness lake. We bring everything with you. Can't hear a sound, but nature. It's it's amazing. I mean, it's just absolutely amazing. I'm so, so glad uh, I live here. I, I moved here uh, when I got married for, for my husband's job. And it's sunny every day. You know, yeah. I, not every day, but I mean, oh, it's just so pretty. It's so pretty. And like right now it's spring and, you know, we have these beautiful red bud trees and dogwoods and forsythia that are blooming. And it's just this bright color sitting outside. And I think if anyone wants to take a spring, summer or fall vacation, I highly recommend coming to the Hudson Valley. It's affordable. In fact, people are moving up here. Get up here now if you can, because yeah, I know. <laughs> people are leaving New York City with the with the pandemic and, not, you know, wanting to have space and they're. Yeah. Getting, you know, homes up here. So real estate's starting to skyrocket. Yeah, it's been for a while. I know I've been looking at some of the things up there. It's it's crazy. Um, have you ever done climbing over in the Shawangunk since you're so close? Like, have you ever done with the ropes and everything? No, I'm not a big okay. climbing person. Yeah. Um, it's a little scary. <laughs> no, I mean, I've done hiking. I've done I've done a lot yeah. of hiking over, uh, you know, on the other side of the river and on this side of the river. Uh, but I'm not a big climber. And, and I've done golfing on the other side of the river, but not climbing. There's so much to do up there. It is truly a four-season uh, place to live. I mean, you can just, you know, whatever kind of outdoor activity, you got it going on up there. Oh, yeah. In the winter, people snowmobile across the farms. And, yeah. you know, across the golf courses and across the little trails in the back where people are normally, um, you know, walking or biking or driving. And, you know, the fall is just gorgeous and there's apple picking and all sorts of stuff. The spring, like it is now, you know, there's just birds and deer and wildlife everywhere. And the summer, well, the summer is just almost perfect. Yeah. And you're, you're right. The autumn, try to get a hotel room up there in October. Forget it. It's like, you know, it, because the foliage is so gorgeous, it takes your breath away. Yeah. Yeah. Really absolutely. incredible. Yeah. Um, any words of wisdom that you would have um, 
either from the book or just from your um, your wonderful wonderful catalog of knowledge and experience that you'd like to share with our audience uh, who is weighing in any kind of words of wisdom, anything you would like to bless anybody with as we're parting ways? You're not perfect. And neither are the things you want to do, but that doesn't mean you can't work within that to just bring forth what it is you want to give to the world. So I think everyone has something that really only they have and that really only they can do better than anybody. And just recognizing that it's going to be a practice, you know, in, in, in art. I mean, I really feel like we collaborate with the universe to f first find, right? Like you said, getting it right out of the gate, that doesn't happen. To find what that path is and then get on and stay on that path. And it takes effort. It takes work. It's easy to get distracted. It's easy to, you know, look behind you and be afraid of failure. Or what are people going to say about me? Or, or what's going to happen? Or are my feelings going to get hurt? It's easy to, to get distracted this way too. Oh, look, there's, you know, 10 different possibilities. Let me take all of them at, at you know, at, at, at once. Stay, stay on the true path, right? Just, just stay on the true path. And, and that in and of itself is enough for anyone to try to manage, but it's definitely a practice. It's definitely an art and just be true to it and recognize that it's not going to be perfect. Amen. Jackie, it was an honor. It was a pleasure to have you on the Dharmic Evolution today. Thank you so much for taking the time and sharing all that you have to offer. So many people are going to find so much value in what you spoke about today. And uh, I just want to wish all of God's blessings on you, your career, your family, and your golf game. Oh, thank you so much, James. And I had a pleasure. And I just want to say for anyone, the, the book is on Amazon right now. It's Find Your Carrot. We will have all the links in the show notes. People, check it out. And everything, Jackie, will be there for your pleasure. Thanks, Jackie. Great. I appreciate it, James. Have an amazing summer. That was awesome. Really enjoyed meeting Jackie, learning all about her. I hope you guys did too. Please pay attention to the show notes. All her links will be in there where you can find her book. And by the way, my book just came out also, Seven Steps to Freedom. I wrote it for people who are depressed. And you can find it at dharmicevolution.com. That's a wrap. So until the next time when we meet again, I'll either see you on the socials or I'll see you from the stage. Ride on, ride on, baby, won't you take a ride with me? Ride on, ride on, we can untangle all the mystery. If wishes were windows, I'd open one and find That freedom is really a simple state of mind Destiny. I taste 
Beyond the reach of time 